0: Good morning. Hold on. Peter. See, he thinks just because, just because a week went by that I can't embarrass him. So, embarrassment is one of my spiritual gifts. So we're now going to sing one of my many talents. We're now going to sing happy birthday to Peter. So you better sing or it will really sound bad. Are we Ready? Happy birthday to you Happy birthday to you Woo! Happy birthday to you beautiful Happy birthday <laughs> to you I was even worse that I was in worse, worse how could it possibly be worse Couple things I want to mention to you. This Saturday being the third Saturday of the month, where shall we be? Anywhere but the Bartlett campus. No, third Saturday of the month is our help group day at the Bartlett campus. So again, if you've never been, you will personally be blessed just by being able to to hand out food and see the 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 appreciation in the lives and the, the hearts of the people. And we need as many bodies as possible, so if you want to come Saturday like 8 o'clock and help get ready, but I would say primarily we're at, what, 9 o'clock? 9 to noon would be the, the real critical time, uh, particularly on the, the parking lot and in the gym getting the food ready. So this Saturday at the Bartlett campus, if uh, you can be there, I think you will genuinely be blessed. And then I have one announcement that I want to make because we're just excited about it, and I don't want to wait. Till the end of the service. So, as of Friday, we have a building permit, and we will be starting on the Fred's building. So, <laughs> God's timing is always good, so our two people who know what's going on are in charge. are both leaving town for two weeks. <laughs> and when, and when, the text, when the text went out that we had the building permit, Chris Ellison, in his inimitable way, responded this way, I request the next six months off. If <laughs> uh, we see what God's going to do, and we're going to get it accomplished, so we're really excited that we're finally going to be able to get in there and start. Uh, I'll be char- in charge of tearing things up because, again, another one of my spiritual gifts is just to tear things up. When they get ready to doing something that's important, I'll get out of the way and pray because that sounds spiritual. You know what I'm saying? All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter one. John chapter one. In this series that we're doing, we're going to be looking at the I Am statements of Jesus Christ. I'm not, As I mentioned to you last week, so you could relax, I'm not teaching the entire Gospel of John because we would be here until Jesus came back. So, what I'm going to do is, is we're going to look at the I Am statements of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. Because that's the way John structures his entire Gospel, presenting the fact that Jesus is God. He is the great eternal I Am. To do that, we're going to go through the prologue, which is what we're doing in this particular uh, handout that you're looking at. We're going to go through the prologue of the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses of chapter 1, just kind of set the, the context and the stage both historically, eternally, and going into Jesus' I Am statement. So, you look at your handout. Well, we looked at last week in this series of who is Jesus, and the answer is he is I am, and you can fill in the blanks, I am the great I am, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. We're going to look at those. But as we're looking at the prologue, what we began to look at last week, and what we are looking at in this particular thing, is that he is the word. And what is the word? This is what we looked at last week. Number one on your handout. Jesus is the Word, and what that means is, first of all, first and foremost, is that He is eternally Word. He is God, He is Creator, He is life and light. So if you would, go to John one, 1 and let's just kind of look for a moment, and then we're going to get into number two on the handout. So number... In the beginning was the Word, John one one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, or without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is where we left off last week. We talked about it being God, eternally. We talked about it being Creator. Now this idea of Him being life and light, and we looked at that. In the context of what it means to be the eternal Logos, the great spoken, he reveals the mind and the mindset, the attitude of God. If you encountered Jesus, you encountered God. We'll see that over and over as we walk through. But it says, in him was the word of life. It's physical life, spiritual life, eternal life. We have life because Jesus is the creator. He created us and he's the giver of all life. Whatever it might be, plants, animals, the the universe. He will ultimately come back to redeem the entire universe. The Bible says that creation groans in waiting for Jesus to return and redeem, even creation. So he is the life, the giver, the creator of all that is life. And it says then there in verse 4, the life was the light of men. This is incredibly important in understanding what we're trying to get at in this little series. That Jesus is the great I am. And he is, I am this, I am that, and the things we're going to look at. When it says he was the, li- the life, Zoe was the light of men. The idea here in the original language is knowledge, truth, understanding. What makes us different from the rest of the created universe is that we're created in the image of God. And so God created us with the capacity to understand other things. We understand life because he is the light of life in us. He is the life. So we have knowledge. We have understanding. We can grasp and seek out truth because we're created in the image of God. We're different. We're the highest form of creation. We're the only thing that God looked at and said it's very good. We're the only thing that can intimately know God. And then we can know him on an eternal basis as a father-child basis relationship relationship. Because God became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and ultimately goes to the cross, dies for our sins, and that's the point of the Gospel of John. That this eternal word, Logos, the great eternal I am that created the universe, is also the one who became flesh, dwelt among us, and was your Savior. You know him as, when they wrote it, Jesus of Nazareth was the God-man. He was the Son of God. He was the son of man. He was the savior of man. He was the creator of man. He was also the ultimate example of all that is good. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And so therefore when he died for our sins, it was sufficient. He could save us, redeem us from our sins because he was the sinless sacrifice. The substitutionary, atoning death. He covered our sins with his blood. And why is that important? Because that's what sets us free. It's what gives us peace. It's what gives us hope. It's what gives us purpose for living. What gives us confidence beyond the grave is because Jesus was exactly who he said he was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We'll see that again as we walk through this series. So, the life was the light of men. We're created in the image of God. God wants, because we have the capacity to do so, and you see this in Acts 17, when John goes, excuse me, when Paul goes to Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, and he goes to the Areopagus, and he goes there, because that's where all the philosophers went to debate life. You see, man can do that, whether man is redeemed, a, a believer in Jesus Christ or not. We have an intellect. We have the capacity to examine look at and discuss and dialogue about the universe. Seeking truth. And when you go to Acts 17 and and John goes there to dialogue with them, whether they were Stoics or Epicureans or whatever their philosophy was, he meets them there to talk to them. And we're not not studying Acts 17, but in Acts 17 at that point in time, there was like 30,000 public idols to all the different gods that they worshipped. And they had a generic idol to the unknown God. It's so beautiful. And Paul says, to him you worship in ignorance, let me declare him to you. And then he begins to explain, using their own poets, not quoting the Hebrew scriptures, but using their own poets. And he says, what you seek in creation, the one true God has provided to you in conscience. And then ultimately he leads them to, you need to repent before that God And we know he's manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So this idea here in John 1, as he opens his great gospel about Jesus of Nazareth is more than its great man. He's God, and he's the giver of life, and in him you can have life. He starts out by saying, you need to understand you're unique, whether you're a believer or not. You're unique in the universe. You can pursue science, art, Literature, create, create, creative attitudes, mindsets, abilities, talents, whether it's in music, whatever it might be, because Jesus, the great creator, the second person of the Trinity in this particular context, God gave you the capacity to do so. The unknown God is referred to in Acts 17. So we have enlightenment, both in creation in conscience. Now, let's go to number two. So not only is Jesus the word eternally, puts everything into focus for life and for history, he's also the word, logos, the mind of God, the expression of God, effectively in our lives. Jesus expresses the mind of God as the creator, as the light giver, life giver, the knowledge giver, So then you get into verse 6. What you're beginning to see in verses 5 through 13 is what Jesus on earth came to accomplish. And we know redemption. We're going to see the big picture of that. That's why he came. He came to redeem mankind as Jesus of Nazareth, who was also the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. That particular human being was also 100% God. So the idea here, starting in verse 5, is Jesus is the light. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend and that word better translation would translated would be didn't overcome it. Didn't overcome it. So only in Jesus Christ can we see light the way it really is. Now, as human beings, we have, we have intellect, we've talked about, we have moral enlightenment, we realize there's such a thing, absolute morality, that there's right and there's wrong. Jesus then clarifies for us. That's what it means by being the word. He gives us a sense of what God, who God is. You see him, you see God. I and the Father are one, on and on. And so when we encounter him, even now, as I, as I, in the culture that we live in, and I've been a Christian now 51 years, and, and you continue to grow in your faith and your knowledge, that's so why the Bible says repeatedly grow in, in knowledge, nurture children, train them, teach them, model for them truth. So we can be drawn then to the one who's the epitome, who is the truth, Jesus Christ. So verse 5, man is in darkness, and Jesus is the light that shines in that darkness, and that darkness is not able to overwhelm or comprehend it or or dominate it, I guess would be the best way to understand it. It didn't overwhelm it. We we want to find out what's the meaning of life. Everyone wants to know what that is. And despite our vast accomplishments and all that, that, that mankind has done, we're still constantly seeking, what's the meaning of life? And when you encounter Jesus Christ and you're redeemed and you enter into a relationship with God through him, you realize this is the meaning of life. This is the big picture. Christ came to save me so that I could know God and I could share that with other people so that they too could have peace and hope. So gar- darkness, just by uh, in factuality, cannot exist with light. It cannot overcome light. It can't possess light. Light dispels darkness. In Second Corinthians, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. What fellowship has light with darkness? For just a moment, I want you to flip over to chapter 3 of John. Look at verse 19. 319. Jesus speaking. 319. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. It does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. In essence, here's what he's saying. I've come into the world, and light has come into the world, historically through the Hebrew Scriptures, through the, the one true God, the great I Am, we revealed light to you, and yet men chose darkness over the light because their deeds were evil. They did not want the light shining in their darkness and revealing their evil. They chose that instead. In First John, the same author wrote these words in his first epistle, This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the darkness of sin that every human being is cursed with because of original sin, the darkness can be dispelled through the person of Jesus Christ because in him is no darkness at all. I can come to him as I did 51 years ago and I can trust Christ as my savior and positionally he declares me his child. I become a child of God. I'm born again. I'm redeemed. I'm a Christian. Whatever term you use, I'm in the family of God. I'm his son. That's who I am positionally. Ultimately, Paul calls that justification. He talks about it many times. Ultimately, I will die and I will go home. And I will then permanently be Totally away from the presence of sin. Because in the eternal state in heaven, there is no sin. There's no no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no grief. There's no sin. There's no curse, the way it's put in Revelation. There's no sin. So the very presence of sin will not be there. Positionally, I'm born again. Permanently, and from the presence of sin, that's my ultimate destination. So I have hope. In between, it's around. It's in me. And it wants to manifest itself. That darkness is still around. But because of the light of Jesus Christ, I don't have to live in darkness. I've been set free from that. He's the light. We'll see later on in more detail when he calls himself the light of the world. What exactly did he mean by that? So man is in darkness. Every man. And yet Jesus came to dispel that and to set them free. Peter put it this way, his first epistle. That you may proclaim the praises of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but you are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but you now, now you have obtained mercy. Here's the idea. Prior to my conversion, I was just in darkness. All I knew was darkness. Now, we said a moment ago, as human beings, I had a conscience, and I knew there were certain things as right and wrong. And then, when encountering Jesus Christ and and having the gospel shared, and being born again, and being set free, and understanding what God has given to me in understanding grace and mercy. You had not obtained mercy, and now you have. And I understand that God, grace, what he gives to me, and mercy, what he does not uh, do to me, he pours pours in my wrath, he pours it out on the back of Jesus Christ in my stead, substitutionary, atoning, sacrifice again. Once I understand mercy and I've been set free, I'm now in the light. And here's the beauty of understanding this. That's the reason the last thing Jesus said before he left the planet was what? Go into all the world and make disciples or learner followers of me. And I'll be with you always. He set us free, said that to the disciples at the ascension says it to us today and I give you the commission and I give you the call and I give you the privilege to go into your culture that's in darkness enveloped in it both culturally and individually and share with them light that has set you free take you, taken you from darkness and put you in the kingdom of light and now you're a priest of mine to go share with your world how they can get out of darkness and have purpose hope peace that you have now look at verse 6 1-6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John John the Baptist this man came for a witness please notice this it's so cool the man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe he was not that light but he was sent to bear witness of that light It's exactly what we've just been talking about john the baptist came as a witness of the light how long had the son of god the second person of the trinity been the light we saw that last week forever eternally he is the light and then the then the word became flesh and dwelt among us prior to that john the baptist was six months older than jesus of nazareth Prior to Jesus coming on the scene, God sent John the Baptist as a fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament, as the one crying in the wilderness. And people were flocking to him by the thousands to get baptized. And what's fascinating is that he understood his role. He could have gotten an ego problem, because sin does that to you. He could have said, wait a minute, everybody's coming to me, I want them to follow me. And even to this day, there, there are descendants of people who followed John the Baptist. What he said was, wait a minute, I'm a witness. I'm not the light. I want to point you to the light. Please hang with me for just a moment, because I love this. It helps. It's helped me so much. He knew he was a witness of the light. Look at verse 7, that all through his witness, or through him, might what? Believe. See it in verse 7? The man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Through John the Baptist, through his witness, they might believe in Jesus of Nazareth who was the witness. To bear witness of the light. Not about him. It's always about the light. Look at chapter 5 for just a moment. If you flip over there to verse 33. 533. 533. Jesus is speaking 5:33 you've sent to John the Baptist and he's born witness to the truth. I do not receive testimony from man but I say these things that you may be saved. He John the, pardon me he John the Baptist was the burning and shining lamp and you you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. I love this, this metaphorical, this illustration because it just really helps me. What does a lamp do? A lamp is something that, for example, we have a lamp sitting on our piano. In when you come into our house, the main room, there's a piano on the wall and there's a lamp that sits on it. We, we, we turn that lamp on and we leave it on all night, every night. Because when I get up in the middle of the night, I won't stumble and hurt myself. So the lamp sitting there. We turn it on. It dark, we leave it on till the next morning. So I get ready to go to bed the other night. it won't work. So the bulb that was inside the lamp had done what? It gone bad. It was broken. It wasn't going to work anymore. So for that lamp to be effective, what did it have to have on the inside of it for it to be an effective lamp? It had to have a light. I went and got another bulb, put it in there, tightened it up, and light came out. This is the illustration. John the Baptist was not the light. He was a reflector of the light. That's exactly who we are. We're lamps. We've been set free by the light. Jesus is the light of the world. John the Baptist, I'm not the light, but I want you to see the light. The light that's in us, we want people to see. It's the light of the redemption in Jesus Christ. Randy Lockley is a shell of a person. He's a human being. But inside him is a light. It's the light of Jesus Christ. That he wants reflected out. So other people see that. And they're drawn to the light. If you're in darkness... What's the one thing you want more than anything else? You want light. One of the ways I discovered that I had a little bit of claustrophobia, we were on a trip one time. My son was in like the seventh grade, and we went on one of those cave camping trips. that Church, I think it's required in the Bible, if you're our church, you have to do a cave camping trip.
1: So I don't know where we were.
0: Uh, I don't know if it was Mammoth Cave, Cumberland Caverns. I don't know where we were. But he was like seventh grade, and we were in there with a bunch of Boy Scouts, just like... from another group. There was hundreds of people in this cave. We got re- and they had lights strong and everything was fine. And then they turned out all the lights. I could not see my hand. My son was probably 12, 13. <laughs> I know he don't want me to tell this story, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Because it's one of my gifts. So we're all laying out, and we got this queen laid out on the floor so it's this cold and wet cave. And we're laying in our sleeping bags and everything's cool. We're all laughing and joking. Remember, there's like hundreds of Boy Scouts in there and us. And man, they turn out those lights. I couldn't. And the next thing I see is that this thing bumps up against me and goes, Dad, is that you? And me and my inimitable way, I said, just about this loud, I said, Andy, is that you? Don't be scared. You know a 13-year-old boy really appreciated that, right? So the next day, we said, we're going to go spelunking. I'd never been spelunking. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I, I knew generally what it was, and we're going to go spelunking. So, so back then, I was thin enough that I could get through the little area that they said you got to go through. And then I talked about when you get in here, they are going to be here. We're going to have flashlights up, but there are going to be areas where it's going to be like this. So that's no big deal. I'm a man. I can do this. Man, I got in there, and I, I crawled about 10 feet, and I came out of there like somebody shot me. And I said, you know what, I think the Lord has called me to stay here in the cave and play phase 10 with those who don't want to go spelunking. So me and and about half the kids stayed and we played phase 10 while the while the dumb ones went spelunking. We had another guy who was bigger than me, and I won't say his name because some of you know him. He was bigger than me, and one of these, I'll do this. Well, he was, he stayed about three minutes longer than I did. And he came out and said, I think i all have the same call, Randy, so... But when, you're in, when you're in total darkness like that well, the only thing you want is I need some light. And I still remember in 1970 when the first guy shared the gospel with me and it clicked that's what I need. That's what life is all about. Jesus offers that. The Apostle Paul put it this way. The idea of John the Baptist. I just want to be a lamp without that light I'm useless, but with that light, I can share Christ with the world. John, Paul put it this way. We preach, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. End quote. i have talking about sharing my classes more. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. And, and Paul was talking about the grace that God has shown me And we all know who the Apostle Paul was, that he was Saul of Tarsus, number one enemy of the church. He was a Pharisee. He considered himself sinless when it came to the law. Then God saved him. He became the apostle of Gentiles. He was the leader of the church. He was the man. And if there's anybody that ever could have developed an ego problem in the church, it would have been the Apostle Paul. In statements like this, and others, with Colossians, he says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. In other place, he says, I'm, I'm chief among sinners. Who will, in another place, he says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I, want, I know what I want to do, what I don't do, what I don't want to do. That's what I end up doing. Who's going to help me? He was real, and he was honest, and he was humble. He just wanted people to see his Christ. And I love the way God illustrated that to him. After saving Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, what was the first thing Jesus did to him? You remember the story? He blinded him. Blinded him. So suddenly he was in what? Close your eyes. Now make your way to your car from here. Now drive it. He was in total darkness. The light had just set him. Remember, He's on the road to Damascus, and it's a blinding light. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he redeems him or saves him. and He blinds him. And then he sends him in, and he gets healed. Jesus said, I got a special job for you. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, he understood light and darkness, didn't he? He got a real illustration of it. And the passion of his life for the rest of his life was for people to know Jesus Christ. That's all he cared about. And he was persecuted. He was left for dead. He was bitten by poisonous poisonous stakes. They tried to stone him and kill him on a number of occasions. He thought he was going to have his head chopped off uh, several times just waiting to be executed. When he writes Philippians, it says, Joy, have joy in your circumstances while they uh, execute me. That's what he thought was happening. Over and over, because he had seen the light, pardon the cliche. He'd been set free. We preach ourselves. Now back to verse 7 of chapter 1. The man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. I love the word here that's used for witness. You can see it over in Hebrews 12. It's the Greek word that we get our the Greek word we get our English word martyr from it. Many of the early believers like like Paul and others martyred for their faith. This word witness martyr dead to self, alive to God. It's used seventy six times in the New Testament. Seventy six times. Hang with me for just a moment. 47 of the 76 are in the gospel of John. Do you think the word might be important to what John's trying to communicate? Be like John the Baptist. You want to be a witness. You want to be a lamp. He uses the word 47 times in his gospel. Three times it's used to refer to John the Baptist. Look down at verse 15, chapter 1 fifteen. John the Baptist bore witness of Jesus and cried out, saying, This was he, of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse nineteen. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Verse thirty two. John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending like a from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. Verse thirty four. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Turn over to chapter 3 for just a moment, verse 30. 330. 330. Very famous verse. It's a summary of John the Baptist's attitude about himself and Jesus. He must increase, but I decrease. That's the literal. I know your Bible says must, but the literal is he must increase, I decrease. If Jesus is going to increase in my life, what happens to, has to happen to me? I got to decrease. I can't let my ego, my pride, my sinfulness, that old darkness creep in. I've got to let the light dominate my life. And the more the light dominates my life, The less of my selfishness will manifest itself. I want people to see Christ in me. John the Baptist was simply a lamp. He said, I'm not the light. Go back to chapter 1, look at verse 27. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done beyond beth Berea, beyond the Jordan, were done in beth Berea, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And the idea is... Remember, John the Baptist was incredibly popular. Thousands were flocking to him. And he said, this is it. This is why I'm here. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one who ranks, the literal ranks ahead of me. He existed before me. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus of Nazareth. So for Jesus of Nazareth to exist before John the Baptist, he had to be what? Eternal. He existed before John the Baptist, and he was born as a child six months after he is the light. Effectively, who is he? Now, verse 9, this idea of being the true light. It was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was, verse 9, the true light. No deception in Jesus Christ. No deception. Second Corinthians talking about Satan says, No wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. In Jesus Christ, there's no deception. He's the full light. He's the fulfillment of the shadows from the Old Testament. He's self-existent. He's the eternal self-existent one he generates his own light we are created and light is given to us he is unique he's the creator of light he is light he's authentic he's complete he's total now verse 10 he was in the world and he gives light to every man man. verse 9 the light of creation the light of conscience and then the light of Christ he came to the world Romans, Paul put it this way, have they not heard their voice has gone out to all the earth? Every man, creation, conscience, and then Christ. Verse 10, the world was made through him. That true light was personified in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. If you read through the Gospels, for just as an example, if you read through the Gospels, and Jesus is walking around. He limited himself. He didn't just, you know, I want to be, a, I want to be in Union City and I'm, I'm there. He, if you want to be in Union City from here, he, he walked or he rode a donkey to get to Union City. But if you read through the Gospels, he's constantly proving that he's God the creator. For example, he'll talk to a storm. What? We, we might have begged it to stop raining or stop storming, if we were out, out on the water, or playing golf, or fishing, or whatever we were doing, and we were begging, no storm. Like they had kids camp this week, and we were praying. It looked like it was just going to rain the entire time, because we were praying, make it work. There's no thunder and lightning, so at least they can get outside and do what they're going to do. And uh, I went out there two days for a period of time, and far as I could tell, it, it never really rained much. And they had a great week, so we beg at times. Storms. Jesus didn't beg the storms to stop. What did he do? He just stopped them. Told them what to do. He spoke to the wind, and the wind obeyed. That's pretty cool. Even in the ocean, or Sea of Galilee, the lake, out in the middle of the lake, storm comes up. They look at him. who's that? Come, he's walking where? On top of the water. That's pretty cool. He's walking on top of the water. He fed at least 5,000 people, probably closer to fifteen or 20,000. He fed them. They were all full, completely full, and had 12 baskets of food left over with one little boy's lunch. Let's make a good use of your material, isn't it? He's God. He proved it. He raised people from the dead. Lazarus come here. And a corpse comes walking out of the tomb. Still, back to John 1, 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He constantly proved himself to be God. And that he still was rejected. And then verse 11. He's even rejected as the Messiah. You see two, two, two different words in verse 11. So hang with me for a moment. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him. The first own. He came to his own means things. Home. Second own means people. He came to his own. He, the universe that he created. He came to it as a man. Jesus of Nazareth. But he also came as a Jew to his own people. He came to the the Israelites and what was their general overall response to him? Crucify him. They rejected him. He came into his own. Jesus, while he was on earth, fulfilled directly 330 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah he did works that no man has ever done before or since that could marvel what he did they saw him watch him live his life and all they saw was perfection they listened to his words and they were blown away by the authority and who he was they willfully chose not to follow him to not accept him as Messiah verse 12, he was the true life. As many as received him, to them he gave the right, the privilege, the authority to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now verse 12, the first word is what? But in contrast to the rejection of the Jews. Contrast to the rejection of mankind when he came to his creation. In contrast to those who rejected him as God. To as many Jews or Gentiles as received him the word. So he was. To those who believe in his name, he gave the right, the privilege to become children of God. Salvation. He gave them eternal life. Jesus said these words. As the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So as many as received him. Now, verse 13, they were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Who? Those who chose to believe? To receive were born, one at a time, not of blood, not by their inheritance, not by their ancestry, not by their family, they had to choose, not by the will of the flesh, not by their good works, not by by being really nice, not by their positive mental attitude, not by their own will, not by the will of man, not by any religious thing they could do, not by someone you're going through a ritual or having someone pour water over you or going through a ceremony or or uh, saying I adhere to a creed Jesus said I'm the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die yet he will live he who lives and believes in me will never die he who has the son first John has eternal life he who does not have the son does not have life We're going to stop there today because I want to we've been going long enough for one day. But I really want to encourage you, and the reason I got into these I am this series on who is Jesus, that He's the great I am, I want I want you to be excited about and encouraged in who your Saviour is. That the guy that walked on top of the water and allowed Peter to get out of the boat walk on the water and come to him, and that's your Savior. That's your Jesus. The one who said to Lazarus, come forth. That's your Savior. The one who spoke the universe into existence. That's your Savior. And he said, I'm always going to be with you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to comfort you. And to be there with you. The one who comes alongside to help in time of need. And the exciting thing about being a Christian. And being part of the church. Is that we have something to share with. Individual by individual by individual. About how much Jesus Christ loves them. And gave himself for them. So that they could be children of God. That word there power means You have the authority. I have three children. And for good or bad, they're my children. They may not want to be, but they are. I have five grandchildren. For good or bad, they may not want to be, but they're my children. Your father in heaven doesn't look at you as just somebody down there who might be religious enough to get in. Jesus said, as many as received... Me is the word, I came to manifest God by your acceptance, your faith, your reception of that. I'm giving you the authority to be a child of God. It should overwhelm you to realize who you are and what God has done. That's why grace is such an... C.S. Lewis was asked one time in a group, a bunch of theologians sitting around, just talking and trying to show how smart they were. Theologians tend to do that. And the question that they were debating is, what makes Christianity unique and different to all these other religions? And C.S. Lewis just walked through the room, and he didn't even stop. He just keeps walking. He says, grace... He just kept walking. Grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We're not good enough. God says, I love you. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. He still says it to us today. I am all you need. Come unto me. I'll give you rest. And I'll let you be part of what I'm doing. Tell other people about me. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close out our time together today, we thank you that we can call you Father through Jesus Christ. What an incredible moment to think. Just stepped into space and time. At a definite moment in time, the word became flesh. The eternal word became flesh and that effectively changed us. Made it possible for sinful human beings to be children of God. It's staggering, mind-boggling you loved us that much that eternal plan of redemption jesus said my hours come and he came and then when he was through on earth he said my hours come and he went back to the father and he ever lives to make intercession for us at your right hand father we're grateful we just pray that we would be worthy of the gospel the good news and share it lovingly compassionately aggressively without being obnoxious tell people how much jesus loves them what that means because of who he is he's the i am we pray in his name amen please stand if you would and while we sing this final song together I'm to ask Chad make his way up here to close us in prayer. You bring up the house lights so I can see other than the blinding. I'm, I like being in the light, though. Life's important. There's a couple of things I want to mention to you. We've we got to get everything stacked up, put over out of the way so we can have a, a summer camp starting tomorrow. And again, I want to thank you guys for your faithfulness. We are genuinely excited about... Uh, Get, being able to get started next door and see what God's going to do with the, the Fred's building, we got to come up with a name for it—Son of Fred's or something like that. <laughs> Fred's Part Two—I don't know. We'll have to come up with something. But uh, maybe let our teenagers do that. We'll see. But I appreciate you continue to pray for our leadership and uh, just continue to faithfully give. Thank you for that, making making it possible. We're just thrilled about to, to elders being able to serve people who, who love Jesus. Uh, it's, it's a privilege If you get a chance to. I know he's out of town for a couple of weeks on vacation, but uh, you can either message or whatever you do. Let Steve Nance know uh, he did a lot to make uh, getting that permit possible. He and Chad both have done a lot pre-work, getting toward the point where we could get it ready. And now it's going to be time for the rest of us to help out and do some uh, work. So we're excited about see what God's going to do. So I, I love you guys. I really appreciate you, Chad.